Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. As we gather together each Sunday and hear from God's Word, we don't want to deceive ourselves and assume that translates into obedience. As I preach each week, I need to be careful that I myself don't get into such a routine that I get lulled asleep into apathy. Let's be a people who hear God's Word and do it. If we come here with no intention of obeying God's Word, we might as well stay at home. Think about it. We come to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to hear from Him in His Word. He speaks back to us through His Word and calls for obedience. And we must have hearts open to not only hear, but to obey. Last night at family worship with my kids and my wife, I told them a story. The story comes from a man who's an attorney named Bob Goff. And Bob Goff, when he has been to Uganda several times, Uganda has a variety of witch doctors. And in one of the scenarios, a little boy, around nine years old, was taken by the witch doctor and mutilated. They believe that the parts of some of the children have magical powers. And the mutilation on this boy was horrific and he was left for dead. But a little boy named Charlie did not die. He actually stayed alive. In fact, he could testify against the witch doctor. But very few people ever lived to testify against witch doctors, period, in Uganda. But this is where Bob Goff comes in. He went over there and represented Charlie and to bring conviction to this witch doctor, so much so that the witch doctor got put in jail for life. But the little boy Charlie was still mutilated, and so Bob Goff took custody of him, brought him to America, found a surgeon to repair him. Before surgery, they went to Disneyland. And in fact, the story spread so much that Charlie got to visit the White House and meet the president. But the story's still not over. Charlie gets healed. Bob Goff flies back to Uganda to visit the witch doctor in prison. Shares the gospel with him. The witch witch doctor repents and puts his faith in Jesus. And over time, Bob got to interact with this witch doctor, so much so that he got to watch the witch doctor stand up and present the gospel in prison to see others get saved. Such an amazing story. It's a story that I, that I want to tell over and over and over again. But as I tell that story, there's something inside of me that says, you know what? I want to do stuff like that. I want to push back evil. I want to preach the gospel. I want to see people get saved. It's fine to tell stories and testimonies, but I want to be in the mix of doing stuff on this life, in this world, for God and his glory. And Bob Goff, as he 
is in his creative way of speaking as a variety of books and he speaks around the country. The way he sums it up, his life, and what he encourages others to do goes like this. Love God, love people, do stuff. Love God, love people, do stuff. And it's that do stuff portion of his statement that we are going to focus on today as we look at another virtue of the fruit of the Spirit called goodness. Over the last several weeks, we've been covering the fruit of the Spirit as we've finished going to the book of Galatians. And now we've come to goodness. And last week, we were trying to make a distinction between kindness and goodness. And the definition of goodness that we attempted to land on was specific planned out actions resulting in the blessings of others. Goodness is specific planned out actions resulting in the blessing of others. What does it look like to do good to others? Or in the language of Bob Goff, what does it look like to do stuff? In order to figure this out together, we're gonna, we're gonna do a few things here. We're gonna do a quick theology of goodness. We're gonna look at some hindrances to goodness. And then we're gonna go to some realms where goodness can be expressed and stuff done. The temptation in church is just tell me what to do. The temptation is to skip the theology and jump right to, okay, what are we supposed to do? But don't skip the theology because the theology is what drives the obedience. It's the theology that sustains the obedience. So we cannot just rush through theology to action because we need to know what is going to motivate us and sustain us as we obey God's word. So let's jump right into theology. And the theology starts like this. God is good. In some congregations, the pastor says, God is good, and the congregation will say, all the time. Psalm 106.1 says, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The psalmist even invites us to experience God's goodness in Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. God is good, but he also does good, as it says in Psalm 119, 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. As we're laying the foundation of theology, we can say God is the ultimate in goodness. We could even repeat the words of Jesus as he said in Luke 18, 19. No one is good except God alone. If no one is good except God alone and we are called to do good, how, how does that work? The command is goodness, display goodness, and yet God alone is good, then how does that work? 
This is where the gospel of grace comes into play. A good God has transformed bad people to do good works through Jesus Christ. A good God has transformed bad people to do good works through Jesus Christ. God sent his son to die for bad people. If you're good, then he didn't die for you, right? You're good, you're good on your own. I mean, really, what enables you to stand before a holy God? What allows you to come into relationship with a God of complete goodness and complete perfection? It's only through his son, Jesus Christ. It's through faith in Jesus who manifested perfection, perfect goodness. Through faith in him, through his death, burial, resurrection, that goodness, get this, goodness is imputed to us. That is, his perfect righteousness is given to us, and those through faith in Jesus are accepted by a holy God. And if you toss out what many would call sin, or if you toss out your badness, then you have demolished the gospel. What, what is the good news? That you may think you're bad, you're actually worse off than that. But the good news is you can be more loved and accepted than you've ever dreamed of. My brothers and sisters, don't throw away your badness. Don't toss out sin, because that's how we understand grace. That's how we understand forgiveness. Through the death and the resurrection of Christ, his goodness is imputed to you by faith. Now don't abandon theology now. Let's stick with it just a little bit longer. And along with this gospel of grace, God says, I have made you to do stuff. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. As a new creation in Christ, you have been made to do good works. You have a new heart, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can now produce good works. I just imagine that God has this sovereign playbook of good works that he will put into action through you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And most of the good works in his playbook for you to execute are the simple mundane matters of daily obedience with the occasional time for heroic good works. He has a sovereign playbook of good works that he will execute through you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, 10 is legit. God has prepared good works for you to walk in. All right, now stick with me. Let's switch to the hindrances. We're still on theology, but switch to the hindrances of goodness. Now, I don't want to get into a big debate concerning God's sovereign will and his moral will, because in one sense, we can say that God has a sovereign playbook of good works for you to do and his plan for you to execute those good works. In another sense, we could say that God has a moral playbook, a moral playbook of his revealed will in the Bible. And guess what? You can fail to execute 
his revealed will in the Bible. How those two fit together theologically, I don't understand it all. I don't understand the mystery of God has ordained specific good works for you to do and his sovereign playbook, but I know that his revealed moral will, he has told you what to do and you can fail to execute. Why? Why? Why does God have stuff for you to do and then you don't do the stuff? Well, let's go back to our passage in Galatians chapter 6 and consider the context. Verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. You cannot put carrot seeds in the ground and out pops watermelons. There will be no agricultural magic tricks tricks here and the same holds in the spiritual realm what you sow you will reap God does not play games and he is not mocked verse 8 for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life if you are sowing seeds of sin in your life then you will reap corruption you will get out what you put in Sowing to the flesh in this context will be seeking salvation apart from grace. It could be the number of things listed in the flesh with regard to sexual morality, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, envy, and drunkenness. You may think that sowing sins has no repercussions on your life, but that is mocking God because you reap what you sow. Think about it in this way. If you put junk food in your body, it could lead to corruption of your physical heart. So if you give in to sinful desires, then it can lead to the corruption of your spiritual heart. But the flip side is also true if you notice at the end of verse 8. It says, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Don't just think in terms of afterlife, but eternal life begins now. Those who sow to the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, etc., experience a special quality of life in the Lord now. Do not forget the context. The context of this sowing to the spirit or sowing to the flesh comes in the context of doing good works. You can have the best intentions to have an impact on the lives of others. But it can all flame out if you're sowing to the flesh. Here's a reoccurring scenario I've seen countless times over my 20 plus years of ministry. There's a guy sitting in church, and I guarantee you, even right now, okay? And there's probably several guys sitting in church and these guys over the years hear the call to go out and change the world in the power of Christ, right? Go out there, serve the hurting, serve the poor, preach the gospel to the lost, go to the marginalized. There's this great stirring and, and the guy is sitting there. He feels stirred up. He wants to go. He wants to take the gospel. He wants to serve others and love others. He's ready to execute the play. He's hearing from God. He's ready to go for it. And then he does nothing. He fails to execute. Why? I'm just going to tell you straight up. It's because he has a secret sin issue. 
he feels ashamed. He feels a significant amount of guilt. So the call can come to go and serve the Lord and be aggressive and take the gospel and to care for the poor. But inside he knows he has this secret sin issue that he does not want to give up. And so he fails to execute the play. And I've seen this happen over and over and over again. If you're caught up in the something, you can be caught up in bitterness. You can be stuck in greed or lust or anger. And did you think that somehow your own private personal issues are not going to impact others? You are wrong. Because when you're entwined with the works of the flesh, it will hinder you from executing the play. So God, in his moral playbook, wants you to do something to serve someone else because you're stuck in your own personal sin, you fail to execute. And I guarantee you, there are people here this morning, that is you. I just described you. I don't have to even know any of your scenario. You've told me nothing. But I guarantee you, there's someone in here that God has a plan ordained for you from his word, and you fail to execute because you're stuck in this spiral of sin. My brothers and sisters, do not stay there. Take it to the cross. Go to Jesus for forgiveness. Go to Christ for grace. Let grace abound. May his spirit change us. It's not that we have to be perfect in order to walk in God's will. No. But there is a part of sowing to the spirit rather than to the flesh so that we can display good works for his glory. And so if you're stuck in this spiral, take it to the cross. Turn from your sin and find forgiveness in Christ. No longer let your personal sin hinder you from serving others. Now we come to the realms of goodness. Now we come to the point where we give you specifics. There's not a single person in here that should walk away and think, huh, I wonder what I should do. I'm going to give you so much stuff, you're going to be overwhelmed. Just pick one or two. We're to the do stuff portion of the sermon. Love God, love people, do stuff. And here are some of the realms of goodness. And as we start to look at some of the details, these realms that you will execute good works will be in the realms of the world, work, home, and church. The world, work, home, and church. And before we look at these four categories, look at the rest of the passage, starting in verse 10. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. The first encouragement is not to give up. Just as you put a seed in the ground and wait patiently for it to come up, so you must not give up. This year I'm going to attempt to have a garden for the first time in my life, I suspect it will not go well. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, if you ask me what are you growing, I, my intentions do not match the reality because I'm very impatient. I put the seeds in there. They should just give me some food right away. 
And a lot of us feel that way in doing good to others, right? We're like, hey, I've loved you today. I loved you the last five minutes. <laughs> and we want to give up when we don't see others change or we, don't, we see them ungrateful. And it says, no, no, keep going. Do not give up. Do not grow weary in doing good. I know it's hard, but do not grow weary. Don't give up. But look what also he says in, in verse 10. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. While we have opportunity, the encouragement in this phase and this phrase is that you are not meant to do everything and get overwhelmed by all the needs of the world, but it says while we have opportunity. I think that means each of us is to hone in on a specific need that are within our passion and gifts and vicinity. And I think this also means, let's make a little deal here, okay? Don't make me feel guilty for not participating in your passion, and I won't make you feel guilty for participating in mine, right? Because let me tell you this, I can make you feel guilty far more than you can make me feel guilty. <laughs> I'm a pastor, it's what I do for a living. I make people feel guilty. But you should make an agreement with one another that if you have a passion, don't make your neighbor feel guilty because they don't share the same passion because you may have something distinct for yourself. That's called the body of Christ. That's why he put us together. So as we have opportunities, step out in our zone and do good. Now here we go, we're about to jump into the specifics. Get ready, and you can write these down or not, it doesn't matter, just grab something. So let's start with the world. He says in verse 10, let us do good to all people. And what we've been saying about doing good to all people so far this year has been in our initiative called Eat, Love, Pray. For those of you who are new, we want people in our congregation to initiate a meal with someone to love them, and to continue to pray for them. And we branched out into golf, love, pray. We want someone to initiate, hey, let's go play some golf. Love them, maybe share the gospel, listen to them, encourage them, and then pray for them. My brothers and sisters, the elders have been talking about this, and we're not quite sure how to measure eat, love, pray, golf, love, pray. So we would like for you to give us some input, specifically, Send some email. Send an email to the church. If it's an encouraging email, send it to me. If it's discouraging, send it to Jim, all right? <laughs> Jim at BBC, yeah. So, so here, here we go. Send us some stories, because you've been telling me in the lobby all your, but we want to see it written down. So send us some stories of this goodness. But more specifically, as we transition here, I want you to think about the burden you may have to exhibit goodness in this world. Maybe you have a burden to serve refugees or widows or orphans, the unborn, those with disabilities, the poor, the addicts, the homeless, veterans. Maybe you want to work for the common good in the political realm or in the arts or in a neighborhood safety program. Let me just tell you that you don't have to start your own nonprofit, you don't have to start a program, but simply use your gifts and time to do good. Many years ago when I lived in Texas, I knew this, this man, as many would say in Texas, he was just a good old boy. And what he would do, once a week, he would go to the Dallas County Jail and he would minister to prisoners there. He would share the gospel. He would listen to their burdens. It was his specific passion. 
And I wonder, what's inside of you? What's a burden that God has given you for this world? You don't need to start a nonprofit. You don't need to start a program. You just need to start walking in that particular burden and passion to serve others. And as we're still talking about the world uh, this week, I wanted to, to even transition it a little bit to think that you're showing goodness in the world can almost crack a door for witness, peace, and reconciliation. That you're showing goodness can enter into a situation that seems so dark and so dim, and, and you can bring goodness. In fact, you could even lighten up the scenario. The point of that is that even in harshness, there can be goodness in a lighter side. And don't be surprised that when you enter a difficult circumstance, it can crack a door for witness and peace and reconciliation. Well, now I want to transition to showing goodness in the realm of work. I realized most of you are retired, but there are a lot of you that are still working. Your work is a way of doing good. I want to make sure you don't think in terms of cashing in or, or paying the bills or climbing the ladder, but in terms of doing good. You realize that? When people work, they contribute to the good of society. I think about those who repair refrigerators, they create good for those who need it. Like for example, right now, I need a good refrigerator repair person to come and show goodness to my refrigerator. <laughs> but auto mechanics, they fix broken cars. Doctors, they fix broken bodies. Even when you go and you shop, you think about cashiers are doing good by facilitating food, clothes, and services. Stay-at-home moms do good in managing kids. The whole point is that work is not a waste. And if you can catch a vision for your work in such a way that does good to others, then I can say to you, your work can be just as spiritual as what goes on in here. Does that sound odd? Does that hit you strange? That your work can be just as spiritual as what goes on in here. The Holy Spirit can use you to produce good for others and the glory of God. Let me give you specific ways that you can do good at work this week. And this comes from a, a small book called Monday Morning Atheist. Monday Morning Atheist, why we switch God off at work and how we can fix it. He lists several things. Let me, let me say a few of these. Number one, you can pray for the people you work with. Number two, you can produce high-quality work. Number three, cut your complaints. Is that convicting? Four, go the extra mile. Do more than the minimum. Five, cultivate gratitude. And six, be slow to anger. Do not be a Monday morning atheist where you do all your spiritual stuff on Sunday but then you do your own thing during the week. You can glorify God at your work in distributing goodness. Well, now we come to the family. It is vitally important to do good and serve your family. You know, the accolades and awards may not be there in serving your family, but it's still key. 1 Timothy 5.8 details the priority of doing good to our family. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, 
he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's pretty strong language about financial responsibility in the family. But for our purposes here, we can say that you, if you're in a family, are called to do good to your family. And you are accountable in exhibiting goodness to your family. It's why you bring honor and glory to God. And that should be a priority. And lastly, the church. We are all to do good to all, but if you notice in verse 10, it says, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. It seems like we're to lean in the direction of the church. And, and I see you doing this all the time as you encourage one another, exhortation. I see people sharing finances, emotional support, and generally being there and sacrificing for one another. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.